Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7? Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1 begins, For this Melchizedek. You say, what Melchizedek? Go back to chapter 6 and verse 20. He says there that Jesus is a, at the end of the verse, a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you've been with us, you remember if you go back to chapter 5 and verse 10 that the writer wanted to deal with this subject earlier on. In chapter 5 and verse 10, he speaks of Jesus being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 11, he says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. You have become sluggish. And so from chapter 5, verse 11, through the end of chapter 6, he deals with their sluggishness. He deals with the dullness of their hearing, and now he comes back to Melchizedek. He says, I can't talk about him because you need milk and not meat. And now it comes to Melchizedek, and he is the meat and potatoes. And we're going to look at him this morning. Now, most of you would probably admit that you're not highly motivated to learn about Melchizedek. Be honest with me. You say, Dan, I've got family needs. I've got personal needs. I've got financial needs. I've got other needs. Why would I want to go back and study about some obscure figure from centuries ago named Melchizedek? Well, my aim this morning is to convince you that you do need to know about this man. Now, if you remember early on, we summarized the book of Hebrews as, as, by saying this. Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews was trying to convince people that a religious system of sacrifices and rituals and rules that had been in place for 1,400 years had now been replaced by a better way. And so he's calling them to leave Judaism and come to Jesus. Leave the Old Covenant and come to the New Covenant. And as a Jewish person was being challenged to do this, the question that would come to his mind is, if we're going to leave the old system and come to a new system, where is our high priest? And so he elaborates on this theme, which is found only in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and that theme is that Jesus Christ is our high priest. Now, we will never really appreciate our need for a high priest until we realize how holy and unapproachable God is and how sinful and defiled we are. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on His throne, lofty and exalted, and we're told that the seraphim were around him crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You remember the response of Isaiah? He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I cannot stand in the presence of this kind of God. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain in Exodus 19? He went up into the cloud with lightning and thunder and fire and smoke. And God told him to tell the people, If you get close to this mountain, you will die. And so the people stood at a distance from where the presence of the Lord was. And it says, They trembled. You see, the Jews knew that they could not saunter into the holy place and have a chat with God. Only the high priest could go into the holy of holy places only once a year and only with blood. You see, the Jewish people knew how desperately they needed a high priest, how desperately they needed someone to represent them before God because they could not approach him any other way. And so the writer of Hebrews is making the point that Jesus is our high priest. 
But he is not a high priest according to the Levitical priesthood under the law. He is something greater. He is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so he wants us to understand Melchizedek and his priesthood so that we can more deeply appreciate Jesus Christ and his, his priesthood. Now, you say, well, who is Melchizedek? Well, if you've got your Bible, go back to Genesis chapter 14. And while you're turning there, I'll read the first verse of chapter 7 of Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. Now in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has come to Canaan with Sarah and Lot, and he and, he and Lot were blessed so much that they had so many servants and so much possessions, they decided they should separate. And you remember, Lot looked down towards Sodom and saw how green it was and how fertile it was. And so he moved his tents toward Sodom. Now, at this period of time, there were many different tribes living in the area of Canaan, and each individual city had an individual king. And in Genesis chapter 14, we have described for us a battle. Four kings took on five kings, and the four kings won the battle. And one of the losing kings was the king of Sodom. And so Sodom was taken over and the people were taken captive, which means Lot was taken captive. When Abraham found out about it, he took his 318 men and he went after these four kings and he defeated them at Damascus and he brought back the people and the spoils. And I want you to pick up the story with me in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. Now, we have just read everything in the Old Testament about Melchizedek, with the exception of one verse. And that's Psalm 110.4, where God promised his son that he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And out of those three verses in Genesis 14, in fact, out of what those verses say and don't say, the writer of Hebrews draws some amazing parallels between Melchizedek and Christ. And what's interesting to me is that he doesn't draw the most obvious parallel. The most obvious thing I see there is the bread and the wine. I see that and go, that's a picture of Christ and his death. You know what? He passes over the obvious parallel and he focuses on some things that you and I probably would have missed. Now come back to Hebrews chapter 7 and let me say that there has been much conjecture as to just who exactly Melchizedek is. Because this chapter says some unusual things about him. Some people have said that he's an angel in Genesis 14. But we know he's not an angel because in chapter 5 and verse 1 we are told that every high priest is taken from among men. So he's not an angel. Other people have conjectured that he is Jesus Christ. That in Genesis 14 we have a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ. And they say that because there's some very amazing things said about this guy in Hebrews chapter 7. In fact, verse 3 says he has no father, he has no mother, he has no end of days. But I don't think this is Jesus Christ because if you look at the end of verse 3, it says he is made like the Son of God. It doesn't say he is or was the Son of God. And for this reason, I believe that Melchizedek was neither an angel nor Christ. He was a man who the Spirit of God in Hebrews sets forth as a type of Jesus Christ. He is a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. And there are many pictures in the Old Testament. There's the picture of the serpent of brass that Moses put up on the pole. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in Him have eternal life. We see the lambs in the Old Testament. 
And John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus in John 1.29, Behold, a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are many pictures in the Old Testament, and Melchizedek is just another one of those pictures of Jesus Christ. And so from this brief account in Genesis 14, the writer of Hebrews notes seven things about his priesthood. Seven things that parallel Christ's priesthood, and I've listed them for you in your bulletin. The first is the dominion of his priesthood. Verse 1 says he is the king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. So he was a king priest. He was a royal priest. Now that was unheard of in the Levitical priesthood of Israel. There was no such thing as a king priest. You couldn't have one. Because the priests had to come from the tribe of what? Levi. The kings had to come from the tribe of Judah. So it was impossible to bring the two together. There were no king priests. The priests were subject to the kings and the kings were prohibited from entering the holy place. In fact, if you want to read about that, read about it in 2 Chronicles 26 where King Uzziah decided he would go into the temple and take over as priest and he broke out with leprosy. King Saul decided he would offer sacrifices like a priest and God took his kingdom away as a result of that. There were no king priests in the Old Testament. But Melchizedek was a king priest. And as such, he is a picture to us of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our king and he is our priest. In fact, let me show you an interesting verse. Zechariah chapter 6. If you can find Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Comes right after Zephaniah. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch. That's talking about Jesus Christ. A man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Notice, thus he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two offices. That's a projection, a prophecy of Jesus Christ that he would be king priest. Now come back to Hebrews chapter 7. It says in verse 1, he's the king of Salem. Now, where is Salem? Well, Salem was the ancient name for a city you're familiar with, Jerusalem. He was the king priest in Jerusalem before Jerusalem was even called Jerusalem. In fact, Psalm 76.2 says, And God's tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place is in Zion. Using those two names interchangeably. And Zion is the hill of God in Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is God's hometown. He, he dwelt there. And long before Aaron, God had a priest in Jerusalem. And long before David, God had a king in Jerusalem, Melchizedek. He was a king priest. That's the dominion of his priesthood. And then secondly, we see the dimension of his priesthood also in verse 1. You see, Melchizedek was a universal priest. He was a Gentile priest, and he was priest over Abraham, who was to be the father of the Jewish nation. And that's why it says in verse 1, he is priest of the Most High God. See, the Levitical priesthood was a national priesthood. They dealt with their own nation. Melchizedek was a universal high priest. And as such, he presents a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is high priest, but he's not simply the high priest over Israel. He is the high priest over everyone. 1 John 2.2 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. In John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 4.42, the Samaritans say, For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That's the dimension of His priesthood. 
And then third, we see the disposition of his priesthood. In verse 2, notice, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. Melchizedek was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now in Hebrew, Melchi means my king. Zedek means righteousness. And so Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Salem comes from a Hebrew word you're familiar with, shalom, and it means peace. So to say Melchizedek, king of Salem, is to say king of righteousness, king of peace. Now if you'll notice, he says first and then. There's an order here. First, king of righteousness, then king of peace, which tells us that righteousness comes first and then peace. Peace never comes without righteousness. Sin always causes discord. It always causes strife. But righteousness is the foundation for peace. Which tells us why the Levitical priesthood never accomplished its goals. Its goals were righteousness and peace. They never accomplished those goals because they could never get the righteousness down. They could never take care of men's sins. In fact, later in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10 and verse 4, we read that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. And so through all their continuous sacrifices, they never made anyone holy, and so they never established true peace. Melchizedek was king of righteousness, king of peace, and so he pictures for us the Lord Jesus. Jesus is our king of righteousness, and he is our king of peace. When you read the book of Romans, you find in chapter 3 that we have his righteousness. And then when you come to chapter 5, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You see, peace is the result of righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17 says, and the work of righteousness will be peace. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, this is the name by which he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And Isaiah 9, 6 says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In fact, looking ahead to the time of Christ, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 85.10, Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The two things that men need most, righteousness before God and peace with God, and those two, two things have kissed each other in Jesus Christ. That's the disposition of his priesthood. And then fourth, we see the derivation of his priesthood in verse 3. You see, Melchizedek's priesthood was not based on heredity. Verse 3 says, without father, without mother, without genealogy. Now, being a priest in Israel was totally dependent on your family lineage. All priests came from the tribe of Levi. If you weren't from the tribe of Levi, you need not apply. And if you were from the right family, it really didn't matter what you were like, you were going to get in. And that's why they were so careful to keep up with the genealogies of each person so that they could clean their rights. But Melchizedek's priesthood is obviously different. It says he was without father, without mother, without genealogy. You say, well, Dan, what do you mean? Without father, without mother, without... No, nobody's without father and mother. Except maybe Joshua. In Joshua 1.1 it says he was the son of none. N-U-N. You say, well, what did God do? Just drop him out of heaven in Genesis 14? No. You see, what the writer is pointing out to us is that in the account in Genesis, there is no record of his father or his mother or his genealogy. You see, he's building an argument from silence. He's interested in what Genesis does not say about Melchizedek. 
Now, it's interesting to me that, that when you read the book of Genesis, there's a great emphasis on genealogies. There's a great emphasis on the number of years that people lived. And in the midst of that emphasis, seemingly out of nowhere, comes Melchizedek. His family lineage is never mentioned. His length of life is never mentioned. His death is not mentioned. And the writer is telling us that the Holy Spirit deliberately omitted those facts from a book that emphasizes just such facts in order to make Melchizedek an appropriate type of Jesus Christ. See, as the son of Mary, was Jesus qualified to be a high priest under the law? No. Because his lineage was traced back to which tribe? Not to Levi, but to Judah. So to be our high priest, he had to come from a different order of priests. And he did. He came from the order of Melchizedek. And as son of God, Jesus has no human lineage, and so he fulfills the type of Melchizedek. No genealogy, no beginning, no end. Which brings us to the fifth point, the duration of his priesthood. Notice the rest of verse 3. It says, Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. You say, you mean Melchizedek lived forever? No. But from the record, he had no beginning and there was no record of his death. And that's why in verse 3, it says Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. It doesn't say Jesus was made like Melchizedek. You see, it's not that Melchizedek never died. It's that Genesis omits his death so that according to the record, we don't know that he died. And so his priesthood lives on. To read in Numbers chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, you'll find that the priests in Israel served from age 25 to age 50, and they were done. Theirs was a temporal service. In fact, Numbers chapter 20 gives a rather lengthy description of Aaron's death. But here we're told that Melchizedek, in contrast to that, has an eternal priesthood. Chapter 6, verse 20 says Jesus is a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus Christ or Melchizedek is the picture of Jesus Christ. And when we get down further in chapter 7, notice verse 24. It says, But he, Jesus, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Which brings us to the sixth point, And that's the distinction of his priesthood. And we see that in verses 4 to 10. And just walk through these verses with me and this will be real obvious. Verse 4, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. Think about how great Melchizedek was. Even Abraham the patriarch, that word means the first father. Even Abraham, the number one guy in Jewish history, gave a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. Verse 5, and those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. Now, Levitical priests receive a tenth from the people because the law said so. And besides that, they were brothers in Israel. And then verse 6 says, But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. Melchizedek was not related to Abraham. There was no law that said Abraham had to give him a tenth, but he gave him a tenth anyway, showing us that there is a distinction between the two. And then notice the end of verse 6. It says, and Melchizedek blessed the one who had the promises. Now, Abraham was supposed to be the blesser. He's the one through whom God was going to bless all the nations. But here we find that he is the blessee. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, notice verse 7. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Who is the lesser? 
Abraham. Who is the greater? Melchizedek. Verse 8. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. In this case, in the law, dying men receive tithes. In that case, under the priesthood of Melchizedek, it is witnessed that he lives on. And then notice verse 9. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now this is what he really wanted to get to in this passage. Levi, the head of the priestly tribe, who received tithes in keeping with the Old Testament law, gave tithes to Melchizedek, who didn't in any way fit the qualifications of a priest under the law. You say, well, wait a minute, Dan. How did Levi pay tithes to Melchizedek? Well, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Levi. Levi was Abraham's great-grandson. And so the writer is saying, in essence, Levi gave tithes to Melchizedek because he was still in the loins of his great-grandpa. You see, in Hebrew thought, an ancestor contained all the future descendants in himself and in his actions. And that's the argument Paul makes with us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 when he says, when Abraham sinned, we all sinned. When Abraham sinned, the whole human race sinned because we were all from the seed of Abraham. And so his point is, not only that Abraham considered Melchizedek greater, but Levi, four generations later, the head of the priestly tribe, considered Melchizedek's priesthood greater than his. That's his point. You see, here's Levi with his priesthood the Old Testament priesthood under the Old Covenant. And he is acknowledging that Melchizedek's priesthood is greater than his. And the writer is saying you need to understand that because Jesus is from this priesthood. So you need to leave the Old Priesthood and come to Jesus Christ. You need to leave the Old Covenant and come to the New Covenant. And then the final point is point seven, the dignity of his priesthood. And we saw this in verses six and seven. Look again at the end of verse six. It says that Melchizedek blessed the one who had the promises, but without any dispute, the lesser Abraham is blessed by the greater Melchizedek. Now, Scripture uses the word blessing in a variety of ways. In Psalm 103.1, we're told, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, when we bless the Lord, the lesser is blessing the greater. Jesus said in Luke 6.28 to bless those who curse you. When that happens, equal is blessing equal. But this same term is also used a little different way in the Bible. There is a fatherly blessing in the Old Testament. It's illustrated in Genesis 27, 27, where Isaac blessed Jacob. And there is a priestly blessing in the Old Testament. Aaron blessed the people in Numbers 6, 23. And that's the kind of blessing he's talking about in this passage. The one imparting the blessing is conveying God's blessing through his authority onto the one being blessed. And since Melchizedek pronounced God's blessing on Abraham, he is greater than this great man who had God's promises. But what I want you to understand is that Melchizedek is simply a picture of the one who is greater still, and that is Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it. If Melchizedek, who was simply a sign, simply a type, simply a shadow, is greater than Abraham and greater than Levi and greater than the Old Testament priesthood, how much greater is Jesus Christ, who is the truth the reality, the substance. If the figure in the Old Testament, the guy who simply illustrates Jesus is greater than Abraham, then how much greater is Jesus Christ? And then beyond that, I want you to think about this. If Melchizedek could bless Abraham, how much more is the Son of God ready and able to bless those of us who draw near to God through him?
See, I think that's the message of this passage. If we want God's blessings, we have to seek them in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, As many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. So let me ask you this morning, what do you need from God? Do you need eternal life? Well, if you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need forgiveness of sins? Well, if you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need inner peace? If you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need hope? If you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need joy in the midst of your trials? If you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need grace to endure and hang on? Well, if you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need victory over that sin you keep struggling with? Well, if you come to Jesus, it's yes. Do you need healing from past wounds? Well, if you come to Jesus, it's yes. You see, Jesus is our perfect high priest who dispenses God's blessings to all of us who will draw near. So let me close by asking that question again. Why do you and I need to know about Melchizedek? And the answer is that through him, we see Christ. He is a picture of Jesus. In fact, there's only one commandment in these 10 verses. It's in verse 4. And verse 4 says, Now observe how great this man was. That Greek word observe means to gaze at, to discern through careful observation. We get our word theater from this verse. So Melchizedek is a picture show. We are to watch the picture show. We are to pay attention to the picture show so that through him we could see Jesus Christ. And when we look through Melchizedek and we get a better view of Jesus Christ, we are looking at the one in whom Colossians 2.3 says are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that the more we gaze at the glory of the Lord Jesus, the more we are transformed into His image. So you see, the solution to every problem that you face is to know Jesus Christ more accurately and more intimately. Melchizedek is simply a picture of the one who brings us to God and who brings all of God's blessings to those who draw near. And so if you want God's blessings on your family, if you want God's blessings on your personal life, if you want God's blessing in resisting temptation, if you want God's blessing in living a life that honors Him, then gaze on Jesus through His Word. As we sang earlier, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm going to have the praise team come back. I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to close our service this morning by looking at Him once again and giving Him all of our praise. Let's do that as we close our service today. Amen. Before I close in prayer, I'm going to ask uh, Jerry and Peg Pollard along with Mike and Deb Davey if you would head out to the lobby. And after uh, we close in prayer, I'll give you an opportunity to... Uh, Greet our newest elders. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for a passage of Scripture taken from the Old Testament about this obscure figure, Melchizedek. And Father, we thank you in the way that we see that you placed that in the book of Genesis, that simple little account, to then expand on the glories and excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to be careful as we look at Scripture to realize that you have hidden jewels, you have treasures hidden there of the glory of our Lord. And, and Father, I pray that we would come truly, as the writer of Hebrews says, with not with dull hearing, but with sensitivity of heart 
to what you would have to say to us. And Father, as we read your word, I just pray that it would well up in us. That it, you would teach us through it to, to gaze on the glory of Jesus Christ and to be transformed into his image. And along with that, Lord, our hearts would just overflow with worship to you. We thank you that we have a high priest who is eternal. We have a high priest who expands outside of Israel to us, the Gentiles, who are outside of your blessings. And you have blessed us beyond our wildest dreams. And we will give you praise for eternity it's all, for all you've given to us. And Lord, we pray as we go from here today that we would simply express that thankfulness by walking obediently in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.